Welcome to the Equine Connection Podcast, where health, nutrition, and love for the horse come together. This podcast is brought to you by Tribute Superior Equine Nutrition. I'm Dr. Chris Mortensen. And I'm Dr. Nicole Rambo. Welcome back, Nicole. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Chris. How are you? Doing great. We, I, I just think we just jump into it because today's a, uh, a bigger topic. It's a long topic, so I think we should just jump right into it. All right. Let's roll. <laughs> Last week... We talked about the stomach, right? And and some of the things that, that can go wrong. But now we switch to the hindgut. This area of the gut seems to have more problems sometimes. So as always, can we start off with a brief anatomy review of the hindgut? And I will warn listeners, this could be an hour-long anatomy discussion. So I'm going to see how Nicole does it in a few minutes. I'll keep it short and sweet. And you know, it's interesting when you talk about issues. I think there's a really diverse set of issues that happen back here. We don't have good access to it. Like the stomach, you can put a scope in there and see exactly what's going on. Unfortunately, we can't do that with the hindgut. So it can be really hard to pin down, do I truly have a hindgut issue or is there something else going on wrong in my horse? Now, it's incredibly important. It's the largest proportion of the horse's digestive tract in terms of volume and in the amount of time that feed stays in this area. So we talked about feed moves really quick through the stomach. It's through the small intestine in a couple hours. Depending on the feed stuff and the environment and all sorts of complicated stuff about passage rate, It could be in the hindgut of the horse up to several days before digesta actually moves all the way through the digestive process. So it's a really complicated area. This is really big. And I know I'm really guilty of this. All the time, I just say the hindgut. Mm -hmm. Well, the hindgut is actually made of several very distinct areas. So the first would be the cecum. This is about 15% of the digestive tract's total volume. And it's super interesting. So you go from the small intestine into the cecum, and it's what's called a blind pouch. The entrance and the exit of the cecum are both at the top. So digesta is going to move, and it's going to drop down into this kind of horseshoe-shaped organ. I don't know if you'd call it an organ or not. Area, whatever. So it's going to drop down go through this fermentation process. So that's where you have all of these very vast, diverse population of microbes are fermenting mainly fiber, ideally just fiber. Ideally, your concentrate's mostly broken down in the small intestine, but it's fermenting it into end products the horse can use. Because you have to remember that fiber, the biggest portion of the horse's diet, the horse itself doesn't digest that. The microbes that live in the hindgut digest that, and then it makes end products that the horse can use. So digesta is going to move into the cecum. You're going to have a lot of fermentation, and then it's going to move out of the cecum at the top. So there are some issues that occur because the entrance and the exit are at the top. And then it moves into the large colon. The large colon is giant, okay? Roughly 38, 40% of the total digestive tract is made up of just large colon. You're going to have more fermentation here and a lot of absorption. So all of those things that the microbes are making, they're primarily absorbed in the large colon. So we need a healthy lining of the large colon to get those nutrients from inside the digestive tract to cross into the blood of the horse and then be dispersed to the muscle, to the ligaments, wherever it needs to go to do its job. Now, primarily they're absorbing 
energy in the form of volatile fatty acids. Those are made from your fiber. It also makes like all of the horse's B vitamin requirement is pretty much handled by those microbes that live back there. And there's a couple other nutrients absorbed here as well. And then finally, you're going to go from the large colon into the small colon. And the small colon, smaller, I love this naming scheme, only about 9% of your total volume. And it's really its job is to reclaim moisture. So if your small colon isn't functioning correctly and it's not reclaiming moisture, that's where you get diarrhea. So it's going to pull the moisture back out. And that's where the horse develops those fecal balls, which then move through the rectum out onto the ground where then we spend all our time cleaning up after them. Oh yeah. Always fun. It's always fun. Be around horses, plenty of stalls. Now, okay. I love this question because I like to pick your brain. From a nutritionist standpoint, what does a healthy hindgut look like? You know, you always ask me these questions and it's <laughs> not a straightforward answer no, because no, again, think, yeah. we can't see the hindgut. I mean, right, there can right. be hints that things aren't going well, but a healthy hindgut is going to be a balanced population of microbes that are digesting the substrate they're given, which should be primarily made of good quality fiber. And the interesting thing, I think we've touched on it like in multiple different podcasts, how, you know, sometimes I might change a diet to make sure that I'm not getting too much fat to the hindgut, not getting too much sugar starch to the hindgut. There's lots of things that are bad for those microbes that I don't want to get to the hindgut. I can't unfortunately get it in a measure and say, this is exactly what's going on because it's just not accessible unless we're talking about a cannulated horse. And, you know, that's not something that's easy to come by. Um, so it's really challenging to dial in exactly what is my horse's hindgut health other than when things are going really poorly. And I guess my approach is in all horses, whether or not I'm worried about them, I'm going to take a really proactive approach in designing a diet, making sure that I can increase the likelihood that I have a healthy hindgut. It, it is. It, and there's so many different things that can go wrong. It's not just one thing. So when we talk ulcers, I mean, there are other things that can go wrong in the stomach, but it's primarily ulcers. With the hindgut, there's multiple issues, which we're going to mm -hmm. jump into right now. So, yeah, okay. <laughs> when it does go wrong, what are some of the things? I, I, I know we did a whole podcast on, say, colic, because that's where we see a lot of colic. But what are some of the things that we see arise health-wise uh, when hindgut isn't healthy? Sure. No, great question. So, you know, a major source of colic could be an impaction colic. A lot of times those can happen in the cecum because it is that blind pouch. So if you have a major dietary shift that upsets the hindgut and especially a big change in gut motility, you can get feed impacted in the bottom portion of that cecum. So that's one type of colic that can happen. You can have gas colics because remember, that's a fermentation vat back there. It's naturally producing gas. But if it produces too much, then we could have gas colics that can range from anything minor to a little discomfort to, you know, a major gas colic that causes a displacement where literally things float up to where they are not supposed to be. And then because it's like this really complicated area with lots of twists and turns, you can have things like strangulations or twists that occur back there as well. And the challenging part is if you reference back to our colic episode, you know, 
the degree of pain, all of that is not indicative of how bad the problem is. So that's something that, you know, we're going to call the vet, get a full workup and, you know, figure out, is this a surgical case? Can it be managed on the farm? Things like that. But there's multiple different types of colic that can occur in the hindgut of the horse. Right. And I, and definitely refer back to that episode if you didn't listen to it. Just to, you know, again, these are quick hitting 20 minutes. So just to kind of refresh your memory on on the different types of colic, because that is, you know, and, and colic can happen other in other areas of the digestive tract, but really hindgut is, is where we see a lot of yep, this. Absolutely. I'd say, you know, another common issue would be diarrhea. So that diarrhea could be second to something bacterial, something viral. It can be secondary to ulcers like we talked about in our last podcast. Sometimes diarrhea is because we have this chronic imbalance of the microbes that live in the hindgut and that can cause it as well. You know, especially on those chronic diarrhea cases, it does take some veterinary diagnostics to rule out some of those other reasons. I actually had this crazy case where um, there was a water issue that caused chronic diarrhea. And so interesting, it wasn't every single horse, but when you would switch the water source in the really sensitive horses, so they're saying their hindgut doesn't have as robust a population to deal with what were ultimately water issues. So there's so many fascinating ways things can go wrong back there. Yeah, it's like a five-hour podcast on the hindgut. Definitely. And some of these issues, you know, it, it, it definitely gives us ideas for future podcasts. All right, I'm going to crack this egg and open this can of worms, however you want to look at it, but hindgut acidosis. You just like when I get on a soapbox, right? Yes. So here we go. All right, I'm going to strap myself in. Hindgut acidosis. Okay. What is it? What causes it? Is it real? What do we know about it? Okay. It's absolutely real. I mean, I am not denying that even a little bit. Um, the problem is it's not a defined disease process in the horse. And part of that is because the dang thing is hidden in there. Like we can't easily get to the hindgut to be able to really map out exactly what pH changes are happening, how long they're occurring for, how is this impacting the microbial population that lives in the hindgut. So this is super defined in cattle. I think I talked about this in a previous podcast because you can't easily get to it in a horse even though we talk about it like it's a specific thing, it's not defined at all. And it also is attributed to lots of vague symptoms. So performance, you know, irritability, changes when you're grooming them, all of that has been attributed to hindgut acidosis. So what happens if, for example, you get a lot of sugar and starch into the hindgut, it can depress the pH. And your fiber digesting bacteria love a really narrow range of pH. And if it gets below that for some duration of time, it's going to start killing off those fiber digesting bacteria and other bacteria that are probably there in small amounts anyways, their populations are really going to bloom because now we've given them substrates that they want. And then it turns into this cycle where they produce more end products of fermentation that keep the pH low. So that could cause things like mild inflammation or hyperkeratosis of the lining of the hindgut. But that's again, theoretical. Okay. We don't actually know exactly how, when, when, how many hours does it have to be below that pH for that to happen? How many days? None of that's been defined in the horse. And there are some products out there that are advertised as buffering the hindgut. And 
The challenge is how do you buffer something appropriately when you don't know what the pH was in the first mm-hmm. place? Mm-hmm. You can actually make the hindgut too alkaline as well if you tried really hard and you kill the fiber digesting bacteria if you got the pH too high. So I think that's really tricky. I would love to see more research in this area. Um, unfortunately, I haven't seen anything. For example, fecal pH would be a really easy indicator, but you can't forget that further fermentation is still happening. It's just not happening as quickly. So you have more of those end products building up. What happens in a normal hindgut is you have production of volatile fatty acids, butyrate, propionate, acetate, a bunch of smaller ones. VFAs, acids, those would drive the pH down. However, they're being absorbed by the horse to be able to use for an energy source. So they're not just hanging out in there causing trouble. So I think this would be a super interesting area in terms of preventing hindgut acidosis. Mm -hmm. This, This comes back to feeding a horse like a horse. Lots of forage. Okay, so we're gonna try to keep that hindgut population really robust. We're going to feed small concentrate meals because we know getting concentrate, especially if it's high in sugar and starch into the hindgut is what starts that process. So that rule of thumb of roughly five pounds being the maximum meal size for your average size horse, stick to that. Or you could even do smaller meals than that. Nothing is stopping you. I talked to someone today. They feed their horses four times a day one and a half pounds per meal. I'm like, that is fantastic. I wish that was an option all the time because that really maximizes how much they're getting out of their grain and prevents it from getting to the hindgut. And then, you know, the other thing to think about is a really good pre and probiotic. So instead of trying to buffer, change the pH when I don't really know what the pH is to start with, what if I make the population that lives in the hindgut more robust so that when there are stressors, they're a better population that's better able to handle those stressors without being majorly upset. It's great. What is a, I guess it's, it will be very helpful for listeners. What is a prebiotic and what's a probiotic? Cause you hear it all the time, not just in equine nutrition. I see it all the time in human nutrition. Now it is a big deal. So what are they and what do they do? Good question. So the end goal of both of them is to support that microbial population that lives in the hindgut of the horse. A prebiotic is nutrients that are not used by the host animal, in this case, the horse. They're specific nutrients that they're just going to pass through the digestive tract. They're going to get to the hindgut, and then they're going to be used by the microbes that live there. So prebiotic are actually good food that support the microbes that live in the hindgut. Probiotics are live microbes that are beneficial to that population. So whether they are a supportive role or you're actually bolstering or inoculating with a specific strain that you want to perpetuate, both of those things can happen with a probiotic. So they have the same goal. They work in a little bit different mechanism. They work together because you're just going at it from two different angles. Feed the bugs, provide more good bugs. Yeah, it's like synergistic effect. Now, I have a question for you. Because last week we talked about stomach, stomach acid. How do these bugs, these probiotics, survive the stomach? Ooh, that is... passage through the small intestine. Yeah, so how do they do that? That is such an amazing question. And you've really hit on something crazy important that most people don't think about. So... In order for probiotics to be useful, they need to get to the part of the digestive tract you want to support, in this case, the hindgut, alive. And 
One of the first things I said in our stomach one is the stomach is acidic to prevent pathogens, so live things, from getting to the lower gut of the horse. So you have to protect them. And there are different ways to protect them. But not only do you have to protect them to get through the stomach, you have to protect them through the pelleting process because that's really high heat and moisture. So just picking a probiotic that wasn't designed for a horse a lot of times doesn't end up being useful. Most of these originally were tested in cattle. They're trying to impact the very first place that a probiotic goes in the digestive tract, which is the rumen. The stomach is after that in cattle. So they don't have to worry so much about this protection factor. So we micro-encapsulate our pre and probiotics. So we have something called Equifirm Excel, tested in the horse, shown to actually positively impact the hindgut of the horse under a stressful situation, and it's going to boost those fiber digesting bacteria. And we have to actually use a proprietary micro encapsulation process to actually get it there alive. Step one, get it through the pelleting process. So that's where you see the live guarantee on a tag. So it will say, you know, X number of CFUs of you know, whatever probiotic per pound. So that means it's alive in the feed, but then you have to get it to the hindgut. And this actually brings up an another thought. Um, a common misconception, like just in life is more is better. It doesn't work that way in probiotics. So, you know, a billion of one strain may be less effective than a million of another strain. So it's really complicated when you just try to compare them side by side. You can't just say that X probiotic has 10 times as much, therefore it's better. Right, right. Yeah, I thought that was important to talk about because uh, I've dealt with a lot of the microencapsulation and in, in doing studies, you know, in, in horses and trying to make sure that stuff can get to the hindgut. So it's fascinating work. It, it just really quickly, some other issues with the hindgut and, and that could go wrong. We always talk laminitis. I mean, how, how very quick, how would that arise in the horse? Yep. So we have a previous episode that talks about equine metabolic syndrome. So that is a metabolically induced laminitis. The other type of laminitis, which is more rare, is when you get a giant slug of typically starch to the hindgut of the horse, huge pH drop. And then what that does is it releases toxins. And because the pH is lower, those toxins actually are able to cross the barrier into the blood more quickly. Those toxins end up in the feet and they start that inflammation and then breakdown process that you have that laminitis. So that's a more rare cause of laminitis than our metabolically induced one. But that absolutely is a risk, especially like if your horse breaks into the grain room and eats a whole bag of grain. Um, There even are, you know, the fructan models where if a horse has not been adapted to pasture at all, goes out and eats tons of lush grass, then you can have that fructan-induced one. But even when we talk about that in the pasture one, that's a relatively rare cause of laminitis as well. Even on pasture, it's still typically an insulin-induced response. Right, right, right. Uh, Let's see, other things that can go wrong. Right dorsal colitis would be another one. So these are true ulcers in the hindgut of the horse. They're actually uh, diagnosed by ultrasound. And then there are some blood work indicators like low protein legs that really stock up a lot that tend to go along with this. These ulcers are, you know, the function of an NSAID toxic issue. So like long-term use of abuterbanamine or really high levels can lead to right dorsal colitis. And the treatment for this is actually from a dietary standpoint, 
a little different than what we've talked about for supporting the hindgut. Um, if we want to talk about it, I have a great case study we can talk about at some point of a horse that worked through this recently. No, it, it, it is. There, there's a lot of things that go on. So you've touched upon it in the podcast, but if you can just do a quick summary on some just general feeding tips, general management tips, you know, for horse owners to make sure this hindgut stays healthy. Sure. So it goes down to, like I always say, feed a horse like a horse. So lots of forage access, particularly good quality forage. And we'll be realistic. There are some times that either hay is not super available. The stuff you buy, you're like, wow, I don't love that I paid seven bucks a bale for that crummy first cutting, but it's all I could buy. In those situations, we're going to make sure the horse gets their high quality fiber through their concentrate. So looking for those high fiber feeds, calm and easy, senior sport, wholesome blend seniors would all be example of those that provide that high quality fiber because that's what the bugs need to thrive on. So lots of forage access, making sure they get good quality fiber, keeping those meal sizes small. Let's keep that concentrate digested in the small intestines so it doesn't get to the back end of the horse. And then, you know, the pre and probiotic built into tribute is research tested, micro encapsulated. We have that in every feed because we recognize how important hind gut health is. And for your extra sensitive horse, we do have a top dress and actually a paste that we can sometimes use during those extra times of stress. So the Equifirm XL top dress or the advanced paste tube are both options. Like for example, while your horse is in antibiotics, not a bad idea to add extra probiotics. The nice thing about using the same one that's in the feed, you know they play well together. It's the same strain. One challenging part of probiotics is you could take two strains of bugs that are both really good. They'll impact the hindgut in really positive ways. You could put them together and they might make things even better, like a positive synergistic effect. They might cancel each other out. Two good things together could make things go badly. Like it's such a complicated, diverse set of microbes that live back there together that mixing and matching would be a challenging thing to do. And we just wouldn't know whether or not that was a blend that worked well together without, I mean, there was tons of testing that went into picking, you know, the probiotic that we use in tribute. So that would generally be my recommendation. If we want to bump up the probiotics, never a bad idea. Um, making sure they play well together is something that we can do by adding the same strain in a higher dose. Yeah, no, it, it definitely rang true too for me. Like anytime we take antibiotics, you know, they sometimes recommend to turn around and take probiotics because it kills our, our gut biome, right? Yep. So we always have digestive issues when we take antibiotics. That's great points. Great points. I, I think we'll leave it there. There are definitely some more ideas for future podcasts I got out of this one that you know, hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll readdress some of these issues specifically with the hindgut because it is so important to, to equine nutrition and digestion. But again, if you were loving this podcast, all we ask is that you share it with your friends, social media, wherever you can say, hey, check this, this podcast out. You want to hear this. You want to learn uh, with me. Thank you so much for doing that. We do see people doing that on Facebook and other platforms. So thank you so much and stay tuned next week for another great episode. Thanks for listening, guys.